Baseball show. It is October 5th, Wednesday. Welcome to the mailbag. mailbag. That's Arm Layton. I'm Peter Apple. Before we get into all the questions, first, thank you for asking them on our Twitter at JustBBMedia and on our Instagram at JustBaseballShow. We are on Tattoo Watch. We are on Tattoo Watch. Cal Quantrill makes his last start of the season for the Cleveland Guardians against the Kansas City Royals, currently sitting with a 3-4-2 ERA. All he has to do is stay below 3.5, and Arm will be inked for the rest of time. Arm, how are you feeling on this Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) I I fully went into today with the full, like, just my plan was I am not watching this game. And I, I made plans to spend the evening with my girlfriend and her new dog. And I'm like, I'm going to tune this shit out. And if I wake up or, or I get enough texts of like, Oh my goodness, Cal Quantrill shit the bed, then I'll be happy. But mentally I I thought about watching it with you, Peter. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't, I don't think it'd be good for our friendship. Um, I, I just, I just can't believe that this motherfucker is going to have a three, four something. (laughs) He's been dominant and he's earned every single second of it. I'm still in between whether I'm going to get a tattoo with you. I think if he shoves again, do you know in his last 16 starts, if you bet Guardians money line, it doesn't mean Cal pitched all that great or, you know, sometimes there was no decision. You would be 15 and one. Name a better system in sports than that. Home starts 14 and four. And we have plenty of questions, including ranking the best rotations in the playoffs. Again, this is the mailbag. We have plenty of questions to go over. We're going to be talking starting pitching. We're going to be talking about the guy behind me, Shohei Otani, whether he might get traded or not. Plenty of questions. Should we just get straight into it? Yeah, yeah. One last thing on this. Um, I never thought I'd get a tattoo in my life. And the fact that this, the Cal Quantrill tattoo will likely be the, the first and only tattoo I get I'm trying to imagine like 60 years from now when I'm like old and wrinkly and I look down at my leg and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, 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 that's why I got that thing. Because you know, Cal Quantra, who finished his career with a 6'5 ERA, one season, decided to shove. And, and that's the part that sucks. We're going to talk about postseason rotations. You made the, the rankings and then I agreed with them because I thought you did a great job on that. We'll get into it. Cal, the fighting Cal Quantrills are nowhere near the top of the postseason rotations, and he's a big part of it. So that kind of is the truth in it in itself. Uh, yeah, I hate it here. It's all semantics. You know what we should do? We should um, <laughs> we should get you know um, kind of like friendship bracelets, or when you're in a relationship and you get like the half a heart necklace. <laughs> Yeah. You and I should get on our thighs, like so. When we touch thighs, it connects like a heart, and in the middle, it's just Cal Quantrill's face. Should we do that? 
<laughs> Can you imagine if we get this guy? If, if Nick Sandwin ever gets him on the podcast, he's going to be so freaked out by us. <laughs> it's going to be like, I've been you love him every move every fifth day, Cal. You love him. I don't even like, like him that much, and I'm going to have a tattoo of him. Between your <laughs> affection for him, I'm tatted of this guy. He's going to – no shot he comes on this podcast. He's going to run for his life. He's a real-life owner of the Just Baseball Show. He actually owns this place. <laughs> First question, and it's already a good one. Again, thank you all for asking on Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure every or every other Tuesday we drop these on, and now is your chance to be featured on the Just Baseball Show. The first question, which players have the most to gain or lose reputation-wise based on their postseason performance this year? Asked by Jared Cochran, three on Twitter. So we talked about a little bit pre-record. We have one player in the National League and one player in the American League. I'll start with the guy in the American League, and I'll throw it over to you for the guy in the National League. And we talked about this, Jack and I did, on yesterday's episode when we talked about biggest X factors in the playoffs. And we started with the New York Yankees and we didn't just start with the New York Yankees because they are the New York Yankees, but I felt that it is the most important person maybe in this entire playoff for his reputation. And that is Garrett Cole with the Yankees. Garrett Cole is in between right now. I think there is a lot of discourse about whether he is one of the top five pitchers in baseball or whether he's a solid ace. I think that's where it comes down to at some points, yeah. Arm. Like yeah. he he was great during the regular season last year, but then got destroyed in the wild card game. He was pretty good this year. Like, for example, Garrett Cole has a higher ERA than Cal Quantrill does this year, <laughs> bringing him back. Like he has not been the 300 plus million dollar pitcher that the Yankees paid for. So if he again has a bad postseason, We look back and we think to ourselves, first, was the contract worth it? Second of all, is he a true ace in our league? Before we get into the National League side, if Garrett Cole has a bad postseason, how are you looking at him? I mean, dude, I I think that's that's the $300 million question here is I look at Garrett Cole at this point, and I wouldn't say I'm totally like ruling it out. I don't trust him anymore. But I'm getting close to the point where I don't trust him as much in the big games. And if I don't trust you in a must-win game, then you're not a bona fide ace in this game. Like you said, like if I am legitimately contemplating in my head, do I want Cole to go or do I want Nestor Cortez in a big game at this point? Because that's where it's at. I mean, Cole against certain lineups especially. Like there's certain lineups, certain players that just really have his number. It shouldn't be matchup dependent with your ace, right? It shouldn't be that way. Look, everybody's human. I, I I don't think that the wild card game, I don't want to overemphasize one start. But if we're looking at that and then the way he's followed that up into this season, again, it's had really good flashes. He's shown plenty of being an ace, but you got to be consistent and you got to rise to the occasion. And I don't know if Garrett Cole's done that yet in his pinstripes. Like we're going to be ranking all of these playoff rotations. And there's a reason the Yankees aren't in the top five. Because what are we going to get from the true ace? Like I think there's we, you know, you and I were talking pre-record. We were going through each team and like who were the best aces. And Garrett Cole is not ranking very high. And that's just no. among playoff teams. There are plenty of great pitchers on teams that didn't make the playoffs. Dylan Cease comes to mind. There yeah. are plenty of them. So then where does Garrett Cole rank again if he has a bad postseason? This is not, oh, he dominated last year 
had a great postseason, then was a little bit iffy this year. And then if he had a bad postseason, well, you could just chalk it up. But this has been a continued cycle at this point, and it's definitely something to evaluate. But there is another player in the National League who has been good, uh, albeit phenomenal during the regular season but he had a really bad postseason last year and now is due to be a free agent at the end of the season that player is definitely on our list yeah i mean trey turner is is probably my favorite player in major league baseball to watch i mean for me it's it's of old it's trey turner of new it's it's michael harris those are two of my favorite dudes to watch and uh, you look at what trey turner has or hasn't done you know really since he won the world series in 2019 and you know, it's it's just one of those things where you get to the postseason, he struggled as of late. It could just be coincidental, right? And I think this is where we find that out. 114 WRC plus in the second half, which it's not bad by any means, but we're talking about somebody that's supposed to get a major, 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 major contract this offseason, get a massive payday. If he struggles again in the postseason, look, he's still going to get a fat payday. There's no doubt about that. But is he this, you know, can't miss number one, free agent, empty out, blank check if it's a second consecutive struggle in the postseason. After a somewhat of a slowdown in the second half, I don't think it's as dramatic of a you know must perform for Trey Turner as it is for Garrett Cole, who legitimately is like fighting for his acehood at this point. But at the same time, if he second half 750 OPS from Trey Turner, you talk about the recent postseason struggles. If that continues – you have to wonder if that should be your, you know, highest paid cornerstone guy. If you're a playoff team, that's hoping that's going to be the guy that puts you over the top. Ultimately, I think it is. I think he is. But if he really does struggle dramatically this offseason, it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, makes teams a little bit more timid. Because Corey Seager got the 10 year deal, right? Mm-hmm. He was a World Series MVP. Carlos Correa got a LeBron-type contract because he wanted to be a free agent again. If he had opted to say, you know what, I want a very long-term deal, I assume he would have gotten something close to Seeker. We have no truly idea. Like Maybe he wouldn't have, but I think it's fair to assume that after that year, his success in the playoffs, he deserved a mega deal. Yeah, But he he went for the LeBron-type contract where he could opt out. Trey Turner, back-to-back bad postseasons, does he get that type of look that a Corey Seeger got? like a Carlos Correa got, should he based on a larger sample and during the regular season? Of course, I would argue that he's better than them. But I think teams are going to clearly look at these two playoff seasons. And if I'm not mistaken with the Nationals, he wasn't that great either. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I love, I I still think, and I try to chalk it up as usually postseason, you know, sometimes you get caught off in the wrong spot and you don't have a lot of time to turn it around, right? If you're slumping in the postseason, just coincidentally, it's just going to be a bad postseason. You only have so many games to, to turn things around. But we're talking about now nine different playoff series for Trey Turner. He's a 561 career OPS guy. In those four different years, those nine different playoff series, it, that's not going to cut it. A 228, 274, 287 slash line in the postseason is just not going to cut it. That said, it is 179 plate appearances. You know, that's a pretty large playoff sample size, but it's not the biggest in the world. If he has a great playoffs, you know, this stretch here, We're saying, okay, that's in the past. It is what it is. Like he's a veteran now. He's comfortable in the playoffs. He's good. He's going to be great. If he struggles again, though, it's only fairly the way that people were with Kershaw through the years after now five postseasons roughly of really struggling and now 10, 11 series of struggling. I think it's only fair to, to hold Trey Turner somewhat accountable to that, too. And we have a couple honorable mentions here because, 
you know, there's definitely some more guys who we definitely want to keep an eye on. I think number one definitely is Juan Soto. It's not that Juan Soto, if he has a bad postseason, that we're not still calling him one of the best players in the entire sport. But I think it does matter for contract reasons. You know, we had a really bad yeah. stint here with the Padres. If he then goes into this wild card series and is a ghost, I think we have to just take a harder look at truly who is Juan Soto as the player. Because I think people were appointing him the Ted Williams of baseball very early, including myself. I mean, how could you not? But then this bad stint, and then if he disappears in the playoffs, the one thing that he has working for him, Aram, is that he was so amazing as a teenager in the playoffs there with the Nationals. So if he has a bad postseason, I'm not writing him off. Certainly not. It's He would have to do this countless times again for me to really write him off. That's why he's an honorable mention. But it's definitely just something to watch because if he is – if he just disappears in the postseason, is he the $600 million player, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something to look at too. And there are plenty more. I know you got one honorable mention. As well. No, I I think it's a great point. Like, I think we need to be clear with what we're saying here. It's not, you know, oh, is this going to damage Juan Soto's legacy or you know, no. whatever? Like he's 23. It's more, you know, how much pressure is he going to have going into next year if he struggles this postseason, right? A sub 800 OPS as a Padre, then struggles into the postseason now follows that up next year. If he doesn't perform now that really impacts his contract status. Like you mentioned, he's a free agent in 2025. Like that'll, the pressure will start to mount. He turned down all the money. Uh, you'll have that big pressure contract season, which I think will rise to the occasion, but there's definitely going to be more eyeballs on Juan Soto. And a lot of people expecting him to be the guy that the, Padres gave up the literal farm to get right. I mean, this is supposed to be somebody that's putting you over the top, especially without Tatis. And you know, he hasn't really done that for them yet. I, I, in terms of long-term legacy, it's going to take a lot more sucking, like you said, for that to be the yeah. case. And he hasn't even sucked. It's just all relative. The power hasn't been there, uh, but yeah, he needs to be that guy or else next year is going to be a high pressure season for him as he tries to prove that he's worth the money more than the money he turned down. And we really talked about this guy in the X-Factor episode, so we don't have to get too far into it because we do have plenty more questions. But Francisco Lindor is certainly an honorable mention here. The $341 million man for the New York Mets. Like, he hasn't really been able to show a ton in the postseason. Um, But I think this is very important for the Mets also because he is that X-Factor for that team. He's the vocal leader. He's the shortstop, the leader on defense. And if the bat doesn't show up, you know, you take a good look at that contract and say, is this truly worth it? But again, honorable mention, he's definitely not. If he has a bad postseason, I'm not writing him off at all. He had a really, really good regular season, still is one of the best shortstops in the league. It's just something to watch. That's why these guys make honorable mentions. It's interesting storylines, which we're going to talk about in our in later questions in this episode. Yeah. And, you know, with the kind of inconsistency we've seen from the Mets offense, I mean, he's the heartbeat of it in a lot of ways. Besides Pete Alonso, you know, it's it's him in in a lot of different ways. His value is so far beyond uh, what what you get in the batter's box. Obviously, he's going to finish the season with a seven F four, basically, which is silly uh, with what he does with the glove and the speed and, and just the dynamic ability of his game. But yeah, I mean, when you're in the playoffs, this is your big money guy. He's got to He's got to kick it up a gear and, and, you know, really be that tone setter for you. And and I'm interested to see if Lindor is going to do that. This is his first chance to really do that with the Mets, uh, which I am very excited to see. I'm really excited to see it too. Question number two. So the Mariners ended their 21 year postseason drought longest in major league baseball. 
But now we have some other teams. We have some other teams that now take the lead as the longest playoff droughts. That's the Angels and the Tigers. So the question is, now that the Angels and the Tigers have the longest playoff droughts, which of those teams will break it first? Asked by at D Hills on Twitter. We've answered questions sort of like this in the past, kind of these teams that, you know, which one have had a shot. We've talked about the Rockies, but I think comparing these two teams, because they're pretty much in completely different spots here you have the angels with mike trout shohei otani and plenty of talent but the farm system isn't as strong then you have the tigers who couldn't really have had a worse season this year but they actually have been crazy good of late they are 11 and 4 in the last 15 they're 9 and 1 their last 10 games they're rattling off win after win after win which is great momentum building for next year but overall in the full season this is a 66 win team they really hit rock bottom this year. They're rookies who we expected to really, you know, perform really well. Like Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson just haven't been as good. The pitching, Casey Mize going down with the injury. Uh, Matt Manning has been better, but overall, Tarek Skubal getting injured. It's just been kind of a bottoming out season for the Detroit yeah. Tigers. So first, let's talk about the systems before we get into kind of the major league conversation because the Angels are closer but it almost feels like the Angels, if they don't have reinforcements coming, they've spent a lot of their money. So where are yeah. we at in terms of the systems? You just finished the top 100. How's that evening out? Yeah, you know, their, their system's definitely improved. I think they've done a really good job in the draft as of late. Yes, you know, I, I loved, yeah, the Angels. I think they've done a really good job recently, you know, going pitcher heavy. And then finally in this recent draft, they took a couple bats I really liked, led by Zach Neto, who I think is going to climb extremely quickly. So it's tough because I think Neto could get to the big leagues as soon as next year. And if he does that, then all of a sudden you know, they look a little bit more interesting. But at the end of the day, they didn't really have that many guys in our top 100 update. It was just Logan Ohapi and Zach Neto, but that could be their starting catcher right away next year. And then Neto could be somebody that factors in by the middle or end of the season and definitely the year after that. I am so torn on this because I think the Tiger system is better, but a lot of their guys are further off. And then we talk about big league wise, the angels are are a better team. You look division wise. I think it's, it's definitely easier for the Tigers in that division. I'm going to stick with the angels, man. I just, I, I gotta say, like, I, I think Scott Harris is, is a very big positive because the Tigers have some major organizational issues uh, in terms of hitting development as well. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've seen Torkelson struggle, that we've seen even Riley Green struggle, that we've seen a lot of their top prospects struggle, that we've seen guys at the big league level struggle. I think there was an entire overhaul that needed to be done in that organization, and it's being done now. And, and I think that's going to help them a lot. But that might take a couple years. Ohapi, I think, is a rookie of the year candidate next year. And I, I like the pitching that's starting to make its way up there. I'm going to just stick with the Angels, I think. Angels are going to be so good next year. They have Mike. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just a consistent joke. That's why I, you know, my mind went to say, how can I prove that the Tigers are the answer here? And it's really hard to do so. But the only thing that I really came to is 
could it be easier for them in the central, right? Because we talked about the Mariners window opening, but it certainly isn't, you know, just fully open. And like, this is the year the Mariners are going to be good for a long time. We know how good the Astros are going to be for a long time. So just in a divisional standpoint, it's going to be hard for the angels to overcome those two teams while the tigers, you know, they have the white Sox who couldn't have looked worse this year. You know, they had the twins who continually fall off. The guardians are a good team, but that's the only team that they would really have to leapfrog here in order to really make a postseason run. So that's the only way I could rationalize the Tigers being there. But in terms of just an organization, it's hard to say between the Tigers and the Angels. The Angels are just further along here, and they do have reinforcements coming to your point about Logan. Yeah, finally. Reed Detmers has been awesome this year for them. So I would say the Angels, but I'm not confident in it. No, not at all. And I will say, I think the Tigers, like, yes, as bad as this year has been, just chalk it up as a singular bad year. I mean, you know, even if they lost 130 games, like I, I think you got to ignore, I, I think the exact loss total at a certain point and just realize this year was lost for them. Everything went wrong, but they still have a lot of positive things going into next year. I still think Riley Green's going to build off of this year and be good next year. I still think Torkelson is going to bounce back and he's shown some signs of life. Tarek Skubal will be healthy. Like you said, Matt Manning showing good things, but I don't even believe in a healthy Casey Mize that much. And I do wonder how they're going to piece together the rotation in the shorter term. Long term, they have a lot of pieces that I think could come up and help them. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I give slight edge to the team with the two Hall of Famers basically on their on their roster and finally a half decent farm system. But I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Harris can get this organization right and help them put it together here. I like it. Let's talk about our third question. This one's a fun one. If Jack, Arm, and Peter all played baseball through college and were drafted, what current major league players would be each of your comparisons? We'll do both of us, but let's workshop Jack first. The first name that came to my mind for Jack was Richard Blyer with the (laughs) I just feel like that's a perfect comp. You know, command first guy doesn't have the stuff to wow you. An occasional balk will get angry. What do you think about Richard Blyer for Jack? Because we could give him Mark Burley, but do you think he's no. owned Mark Burley? <laughs> no. no, and he, it was current as well. Kike it was current. Do you Who think else? it's Kid Kaiki? Kid Kaiki's <laughs> technically current. <laughs> that I think the Velos are about the same there too. I would say Blyer's a good one because Blyer's also really smart and like yeah. a little bit nerdy. And yeah. I think that fits it too. I was going to say Braxton Garrett. Um, very well, boring. Stick it with Miami. Yeah, we're sticking with my boring Miami lefties. Um, yeah, and just basically any boring lefty you want. Aaron not Luke? giving him a Rius, not Aaron Luke. He throws too <laughs> weird. I like Richard Blyer. I think that's the best. I think that's the best comp. Richard Blyer, ground ball guy, super boring, but gets outs and just just finds ways to get outs and box gets sometimes. Cal Quantrill esque except Cal Quantrill's a goat. So here's how I comped it. Um, so I was a submarine pitcher because I broke my elbow and I had to throw from down here because it was the only way without my elbow getting destroyed. But then I also played first base. Didn't have any power, didn't have any speed. Um, but bat to ball was crazy. Hit 370 in high school. Not trying to brag, but I am trying to brag because that's the point of the question. The way I kind of thought about who my comp is at first because I'm like, who is a... <laughs> slow first baseman who was really good defensively who doesn't have oh, any power. Oh, you really good defensively too? I was really good defensively. Okay. 
some people called me the pick master, you know, okay. that's, that is what it is. So I kind of, I comped myself as an Evan White, Steve <laughs> Shisek combo, <laughs> which would be an electric <laughs> baseball player. That Imagine you have Evan White coming in for first base who can pick it like nobody's business. Oh yeah. That's Not true. fast. Is he fast? No way. He's fast for, he's fast for a first baseman. Okay. Well, <laughs> I was thinking about first baseman who doesn't hit. Um, and then Steve Shisek, great Dirty. career, multiple yeah. different teams. So it's what like, it's like, that? it's like the Walmart Otani, yeah. <laughs> just submarine reliever glove. First, first baseman combination. It's pretty electric, pretty electric. I mean, a, a team could use one of those. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Imagine I Evan mean, White. You know, he goes 0 for 4. No, he goes 0 for 3 with a walk. I had great play discipline. No, you know what? I'm giving myself 1 for 3 with a walk, but it's a single. Um, And then in the eighth inning, he comes in from first and just... He gives you a hold. I Hit by pitches <laughs> were my problem a little bit. So hit batsman, a walk, gets a double play, and then gets a fly out. Gets the hold. The worst stat in sports. That's, that's a player that's needed. Yeah. I, I think he's coming too. Somebody, <laughs> somebody like that is on the way. Brendan McKay, maybe. <laughs> Brendan, that actually legit could be Brendan McKay. He, he's on his way to that. The only reason um, I didn't say Brendan McKay is because at Louisville, I remember him having stupid juice at the plate. Oh, he's got crazy power. Crazy. I power. want him to hit so bad. I want him to to scrap the pitching thing. His arms about to fall off, bro. Just rake. He Just raked rake. in the so, ACC. Raked. Louisville. Who's your uh, Who's your player comp? Okay. Yeah. You know, this was one that was actually given to me by our, our guy, Clay Snowden. And I, I think I've got to lean into this one, honestly. It's Luis Renjifo. So I was a switch hitter um, okay. who played a, a switch hitter who played every position like that. Our team was player. Our team was nasty and I wanted to stay in the lineup and the way to stay in the lineup, you know, when you have seven division one commits and through four draftees was fucking play everywhere. So that's what I did. I played everywhere I possibly could. And that was third, second, left, right. Sometimes first base if they needed me to. Renjifo has recorded 98 starts at second, 37 starts at third, 19 starts at short, which they never put me there. Five in right and one in left. He has above average speed, which I think before the hip went, I, I could at least give you that. And like that. sneaky pop. I did. I did have four homers. Sneaky pop. Okay. So, uh, I'll take the Luis Renjifo comp. The one thing I will say is I did walk a lot. He does not walk. Um, so you're, so you're a better version of Luis Renjifo, you're saying? Slightly less power, <laughs> more patience is what I would say. Argue, so you'd have a higher WRC plus? Yes. <laughs> yes. Higher WRC plus, less impact. I like it. Give me... Give me just like a terrible player that because I you know I could have been nicer. I thought I Renjifo just, wasn't that good, honestly. It's a two ninety seven on base percentage. Yeah, that's not very good. I feel like he's been good this year. Has he not been? He good has been year? pretty good though. He has seventeen pumps. That was too much. I, I, I'm trying to think. There's not that many like sh- shitty switch hitters. That's my problem. <laughs> I'd love to pick someone shitty. Trust me. You know um, what? I'm Shohei. You're Jose Ramirez. <laughs> Is that good? I mean, Renjifo is like pretty fucking boring. He's good though. Kind of ish. Ish. All right, let's move Sub on. Sub 300 no, no. OVP. Sub 300. I didn't realize it was that low. Okay. This is a really good one. For the next five years, who do you think will be at the top of each division 
given prospect pools, free agent signing, ability, etc. Let's start. We always start with the American League East. Let's start out West in the National League to make it real easy for us. National League West, I'm going with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have all the money in the world. They have the best farm system, and they won 110 games this year without Walker Buehler and pretty much Dustin May for the entire season. Easiest answer, Los Angeles Dodgers. Hate to do it, but what am I going to say? It's Los Angeles Dodgers. Do you have any argument for anybody else? Nope. Wish wish we could be more interesting on that one, but absolutely not. And I'll central. This is where it gets kind of interesting. I still will side with the St. Louis Cardinals because you look at the Cardinals right now and who are their best players, right? It's Paul Goldschmidt. It's Nolan Arenado, but they've gotten so much productivity from the young guys. Brendan Donovan. I know Tyler O'Neill has not been that great this year, but I think we have full faith that he'll bounce back next year. He's also dealt with some injuries this year, so I'm not going to hold it totally against him. And they have Jordan Walker coming up. They have other arms. You know, even Nolan Gorman could be something for them. And then in their rotation, it's headlined by Adam Wainwright. But you have some younger pitchers in there. And then the bullpen is still good. And the Cardinals are always good. And I think that's the safe pick here. You know, there's a lot of teams in the National League Central that have really, really good farm systems. But still, currently, they are far off. Do you think, because we're also talking in five years. Do you think that anyone could overtake the Cardinals in five years? So I'll start with why I like the Cardinals as the pick, and then I'll make the case for why, you know, maybe the Brewers can still sneak into this conversation or maybe the Chicago Cubs. But starting with just why I think the Cardinals are going to be good for a very long time and and will be able to just consistently remain solid. Look at their outfield depth. You talk about some of the guys already, but how about 24-year-old Lars Newtbar, who has really kind of kicked things into another gear? 124 WRC plus 2.6 F4 in 106 games. I still believe in Dylan Carlson. I still think he's going to be better than what we've seen. But even with the struggles this year, 2.5 F4 season and he's been really just not great at all uh, i think that's somebody that will continue to get better he's still young at 23 years old uh that's we talk about tyler o'neill so that's the thing with carlson even at his worst he's such a good defender it's kind of like what you talk about with prospects that yeah. at their worst like why i think they're going to be a big leaguer you talked about drew jones like at his worst he's one of the better defensive outfielders in the game yeah. who just can't hit like this is the worst dylan carlson we're going to see because there are a few players who I want tracking baseballs out there in center over Dylan Carlson. And if he hits, it's just a bonus. And I do think he's going to hit. So that's a great and one. A hundred percent. I mean, we're talking about the low end here. This is the worst Dylan Carlson, 102 WRC plus 2.5 F4. Like I'm in on that. You mentioned Brandon Donovan. That guy can play all over for you. Jordan Walker's on the way. Mason wins on the way. Uh, Gordon Graceffo, a really good pitching prospect on our top 100 list is on the way. I love Yepes as well. I think that guy is going to mash. Albert Pujols gushes about him. Like they have so much depth, and we're not even mentioning Nolan Gorman, who's going to come back up and, and be a factor next year as well. They have too many irons in the fire. This team's just going to it's built for sustainable success. But look at the Milwaukee Brewers and what they have currently. I know this team fizzled out. If I go ahead real quick. What was that? No, yeah. Before you just move on to the, um, I, I we had a lot of questions too about. You know, when Wayno leaves, when Pujols leaves, when Yachty leaves, like who's going to fill in for them? Ivan Herrera is on the top 100 as a catching prospect. Yeah. He hasn't really made big league impacts yet, kind of like a Luis Campisano, which is guys that sometimes you pull up really early and it's almost that prospect fatigue, right? If they don't show up immediately that you kind of just push them to the side. But Ivan Herrera still has a ton of ton of potential too. Oh, yeah. Like, 
and Alec Burleson, even at first base, like if we're yeah. talking pool sleeving, Alec Burleson, yeah. like it was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues this season. So yeah. they, again, to your point, so many irons in the fire, but definitely talk about the Brewers. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, they have other pitchers too, that people don't even realize are going to come up and help them. But the Brewers, they're still a good team. We know the rotation is solid. We know the bullpen. They're another team that always seems to put it together there, but I love their prospects that are all very close to big league ready. You look at our top 100 list. They've got several guys that are all either triple a or close to it. You got Sal Freelich who hit 330 or something like that in triple a speedy outfielder who should be up next year. You have Bryce Turang who raked in triple a shortstop elite defender. He should be ready next year. Joey Weimer crushed in triple a also should be big league ready next year. Huge power. He's an outfielder. Estuary Ruiz who they just acquired outfielder, crushed in triple a and stole 85 bases robert gasser who they acquired shoved in triple a lefty pitcher as well like they've got tons of reinforcements coming and it's not like the big league team's bad at all and then just shout out to the cubs for what they're building they've got a really good system they're they're a little bit further off but if it all goes right for the brewers and that's not even mentioning jackson chorio who's a top 15 prospect in baseball they could easily put together a really exciting team and and rival the cardinals in a year or two and the Reds and the Pirates, you know, just will you spend money? Because you always, I mean, the Reds have developed an incredible farm system and the Pirates have a great farm system too. I love what Sherrington is building over there in Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. will you spend money? I think that's the question with the Cubs, with the Brewers and with the Cardinals. We all know that they'll spend money so they can compile as good of prospects as these other teams, but then they'll actually make that extra move to go get the superstar that they couldn't produce in their own system. I think that's kind of where the separator is and just how good they are currently. Absolutely. National League East. This one is really, really tough because when you look at this, when you look at the New York Mets, they have Steve Cohen's pockets. So whatever they lack in prospects, they can make up for in free agency. The Braves have locked down all of these young players. Alex Anthopoulos has proved that he can develop from within. But also at the same time, it's not like the Braves have signed enormous free agents. They've just locked up who they have. But who they have is other levels of elite. You have the Phillies who I think could be in the conversation, but I just... With how loaded the Mets are, you know, prospect wise and the money. And then you combine that with the Braves. I really think it's Mets or Braves here. And I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Because the New York Mets, they have good prospects and they have that big money. But the Braves just prove it year in and year out. And if we're looking at who would I rather have at this point, give me the team that has continually pulled up. Michael Harris's, uh, Spencer Striders, and that they've worked and then they're beginning to lock up those guys like a Kyle Wright. We thought he was out the door. And now we're going to talk about him when we rank postseason rotations and he's a big cog. I I think it is the Braves, but I wouldn't count out the Mets either. It's very close for me, but I'm going to go with the Braves. I'm with you 100%. They've got the core locked up. And the core keeps getting better, right? Like we're going to see Michael Harris continue to improve. We're watching Austin Riley blossom before our eyes. Uh, we know Matt Olson's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, and then on the pitching side, Max Fried keeps getting better. Strider keeps getting better. Kyle Wright keeps getting better. This team is going to be good for a very, very long time. We'll see what they do at shortstop, but I assume they're going to be just fine in that department as well uh, with e- either Dansby or they'll find a way with Von Grissom or whatever else they're going to do. 
My problem with the Mets, and I think they'll always hang around and they're always going to be a playoff team now that Steve Cohen is involved because he'll never let them fully, you know, go into rebuild mode. But like, let's look at, at a lot of their core pieces here. They're all older. Jacob DeGrom, obviously showing signs of, of being a human, like Ryan Finkelstein said on the episode earlier this week. Max Scherzer, no spring chicken either. Uh, you look at the rest of that rotation even. Bassett's not that young. Cookie's not that young. But they're going to have to find a way to, to kind of you know, replace a lot of those guys in the near future. Then you look at Sterling Marte, Mark Canna. Those guys aren't young either. They're going to have to pay Brandon Nimmo if they want to keep him. Uh, this is an older core, and you know I think that's going to catch up to them. It's not that easy to just spend your way out of you know having that changing of the guards at a lot of different positions at the same time. And you have Beatty, you have Vientos, you have Alvarez. They're all very, very exciting. But again, with Steve Cohen wanting to win now, could we see them dealt? Like we're just assuming that there are going to be big pieces in the puzzle for the Mets moving forward when Steve Cohen, like let's say they get beat by the Padres in the wild card, he could say, you know what, screw it, the time is now, we're trading a couple of these guys. We saw him do that with Pico Armstrong trading for Javier Baez. And they got two great months of Javier Baez, but now he's like one of the worst players in the American yeah. League. And Pico Armstrong is very, very high in the top 100. Top 30. Exactly. Let's move on to the American League West. I don't know if we even give the Astros enough credit here. When I really look at how good the Astros are at developing talent um, and spending money in the right places and creating an ultimate team similar to the Dodgers, it's not almost one and two. It's 1A and 1B. The Astros are an incredibly, incredibly elite team, and they have the prospects to boot too. Like the Mariners are in the conversation, but I think it's clearly the Astros because Aram, you just ranked all the top 100. Where is the Astros farm compared to the Mariners farm? Because I think that's somewhat of a decider here. But right now, the Astros are clearly better than the Mariners today. But what will it look like in five years? It's the funny part is when you look at the Astros, they only had one guy in our top 100, and it was Hunter Brown at 39. But what they do is they end up just slowly developing these guys that turn into regulars. Like Jeremy Pena wasn't on a top 100 list until the beginning of this year, or a little bit ahead of this year. I started to see more and more, and I really liked what I saw. And Hearing great things, we pushing them across. But they seem to have these late bloomers, guys you don't really – I mean, Hunter Brown was not on any really top 100 list going into this year. That's what the Astros do. That's what the Braves do. That's what the Dodgers do. So you know, you, you got to kind of take sometimes when you have teams like that, organizations like that, take the farm system rankings with a grain of salt. But the Mariners have depleted their farm system in a lot of ways. They've, they've got some dudes, but, I mean, they traded away their main, main guys. So that system is very much depleted. They did it for a good reason. Their team is very talented. But you talk about building a core and a sustainable core. The Astros, like you said, are as good as anybody at doing it. You look at all the homegrown players that they have. They're going to continue to do this. But Framber Valdez, you got who they acquired in the minor leagues, but continue to develop him. Christian Javier, another guy that they've just developed really well. Luis Garcia, Jeremy Pena, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve. They acquired Jordan Alvarez early in his minor league career. Like These are all homegrown guys. So you can talk about bigger markets and whatever. That's not really the Astros game. They're just really good at developing their dudes. And, and I agree, man. I think they're just going to hang around there like the other elite franchises that we see. And they just find a great way of being able to do it. Man, the Angels are going to be so good with show Tony and Mike Trout next year and in five years. All right. American League Central. Another clear one to me. I think it's easily the Guardians. First, they're the first place team at this current moment. 
and the window hasn't fully opened yet. The only concern I have with the Guardians is the ability to spend money. They continually go through trade deadlines. They continually go through off-seasons without signing the big fish. But if we're looking at some of the best farm systems in the game on top of a first-place 90-win team, that's the Cleveland Guardians. It's pretty easy to me, isn't it, the Guardians? Absolutely. I mean, I, I love that the Royals have built this core of bats and, you know, have gotten rid of Dayton Moore and ha- have somebody better, hopefully, at the helm that's going to lead them to a better spot. You know, the Twins have shown signs of things, but ultimately faded as bad as any team could have in the back half of the season. The Guardians, I think, might finally spend a little bit. I'm not saying big time, but they secured an investment. They sold some equity stake to be able to have some more cash. And I'm hoping that they'll invest some of that this season. They've got prospects coming up, as you said, already to a 90-win team, and it's a balanced system. Endless pitching, endless middle infielders. Bo Naylor is going to be their future behind the dish next year as well. They are very set in a lot of ways. They've guys that they can trade for impact. They have money, hopefully a little bit that they can spend, and they've locked up some of their core pieces. The Guardians are not going anywhere anytime soon. American League East, you answer this. I don't want to because I don't want my bias to come in um, because I have my answer. I don't know if it's the right answer. I want to hear what you have to say first. So I'm going to just take you through my thought process here because this is the tough part. You have the Blue Jays who are extremely talented, but I I have a lot of concerns about their pitching long term. And and when's the last time they developed a really good pitcher? It would be too early to say Ricky Tiedemann. So Alec Manoa, and that's it. And Manoa like skipped through though. Like Manoa, Manoa like skipped right through the minors. He went low A 2020 season and then basically just straight to triple A and fast track to the big leagues. Like it, it was not much of a development. He was just close to a finished product. I, as much as I want to say the O's, like I love what they have built core wise. Where's the pitching? Can we assume that they're just going to put pitching together? Ultimately, I still think it's the Yankees. I really do. And I'm glad that you deferred to me on this because you didn't have a gun to my head. We're not in person. You're not holding a knife under the table to me. Uh, it is it is the Yankees because you look at what they have right now. Uh, obviously, they're, they're the best team in the division this year, uh, even with the ups and downs we've seen. Retaining Aaron Judge is going to be huge, but I, I, I'm operating under the assumption that they do that. They have so many good prospects. The, the progress that we've seen from Jason Dominguez, and I know we're not going to assume every prospect pans out, but we're seeing them do it right now at the big league level. Peraza and Cabrera just homered in the same game, and that's not even including Anthony Volpe, who is as safe of a prospect as you're going to find at at least being an above-average regular. They've got three legit shortstops that could play all over uh, that are going to be big league ready next year. I, I When you pair that with what we've seen pitching-wise in recent years, they have other guys that are coming back. I think the Yankees are just built for sustainable success. And that system is just, it's just really good. So first of all, agreed. Second, (laughs) do you think the Rays should be in the conversation here? The only reason, the only reason that I didn't have them over the Yankees was their pockets because the Rays of course will always be able to compete at this level, but free agents, like we have to also think to ourselves, if I'm a free agent do I want to go to Tampa Bay and play in the Trop? Do I no. want to do that? If I get the same offer from the Yankees or the Cardinals or the Dodgers or the Braves or the Mets or the Astros or the Guardians even, well, the Guardians won't do it, but there's a lot um, of teams that I would prefer to go to as good as the Rays are. 
Freddie Freeman was in talks with the Rays, but that just never materialized because the Dodgers said, you know what, we'll do it. And he was like, yeah, I'd rather go play in L.A. It, like I would if I'm a if I'm a free agent and the Angels offered me a big contract to go play with Mike Charter Show Otani, would you rather go to them or the Rays? Like that's a real conversation to have here. So that's why I disqualified the Rays while also realizing that no matter what type of free agents that the Rays get, they will always be in this conversation because the Rays are built different. Yeah. And then the Red Sox, I feel like, are very interesting because there have been times where the Red Sox finish last and then the next year they win the World Series. So the Red Sox have to be in the conversation here. But you just did the top 100. Where is the Red Sox farm system currently? You know, it's it's pretty good. I, I will say, like, they, they're, they're not bad off right now in that department. They've got three guys, and that's not including Nick York, who just fell out, who I'm not giving up on by any means. But you know, they've got Tristan Casas, who looks like, you know, their first baseman of the foreseeable future. Marcelo Myers looks like a potential superstar. And then Sedan Rafaela has been spectacular. Brian Bayo graduated as well. They've got young pieces. They definitely do. I, I'm just concerned about the, the murkiness that surrounds, you know, the future of Xander Bogarts, even the future of Rafael Devers at this point, who I assume they're going to extend. But uh, the, the way that the Red Sox are positioning this thing, like Xander Bogarts has a decision to make on his player option. No, he doesn't. His player option is half his market value. Don't try to make it sound like it's his decision to make it's your decision to make so i i I don't trust heim bloom i really don't i've been outspoken about that and i think that the red sox have a good core of talent and i think that they are a few good moves away from being in that conversation but i still have concerns about the pitching Uh, i still have some concerns about the outfield though rafaela helps that Uh, i really think it's the yankees at the top the rays are always going to be tugging at the back of your shirt and annoying you from behind but i don't think they'll ever have that sustainable dominance and then the orioles are the are the dark horse here and i think what it is for them is can you put the pitching together and can grayson rodriguez stay healthy next year and what are they going to do with that surplus of infield talent? I think the Blue Jays are always going to be a wild card team. I don't think they're ever going to get to that upper echelon. I just I just don't know if I ever see that happening. I agree. Let's take a short break to tell you guys about Diet Smoke. Diet Smoke is the solution to avoid those, oh shit, I'm way too high moments. Diet Smoke makes Delta 8 THC, Delta 9 THC, and CBD products that are perfectly balanced. Their gummies, drinks, and vapes are not only delicious, they're guaranteed to give you that beautiful buzz you've been looking for without melting you into the couch. They extract their THC and CBD from American-grown hemp, meaning they can ship directly to your door. No prescription, no sketchy weed dealer, no need to even leave the house. They'll deliver it straight to your door. Diet Smoke just released a bunch of new products and flavors, so no matter what type of mood you're in, they got you covered. So if you're ready to get that perfect high, just head over to dietsmoke.com. That's dietsmoke.com and use code JUSTBASEBALL. You get 15% off your entire purchase. You must be 21 and older to order. Go get your Diet Smoke, people. It helps us out, and it's going to help you out. And you get a free discount code. That's 15% use code JUSTBASEBALL. Arm, let's get into uh, our fifth question because we have four more loaded ones. Which wildcard team, not named the Mets, has the best chance of advancing to the World Series? You know, it's a really good one. And I, of course, I do think it is the Mets. But I'm going to go in the American League because the Dodgers are so good. The Braves are so good. And the Cardinals are so good. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, you know, if you're in the American League and Garrett Cole isn't great, you really only have to get by the Astros. So just by a, you know, 
like for example, on Fangraphs, the Astros have a higher chance of winning the World Series than the Dodgers do, but the Dodgers have been a better team because the Astros have less likely of a chance of losing to a lesser team. The American League is just easy to make it out. So I'm really deciding here between the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Mariners. And the way I looked at it was I do think that it's the Toronto Blue Jays because I think with the lack of depth that's important in the postseason, when really you have to rely on the top of your rotation, that offense, and that bullpen, the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen, and I've said it a bunch of times before, they're impressing me. They have a lot of good arms back there. And then you have the combination of Manoa, of Gosman, of Barrios, of Stripling. I know Barrios has struggled, but at some points, like in Barrios' last start, he looked really, really good. Could he use that momentum into a good playoffs start? I wouldn't be shocked. Like, would you be shocked if Brio shoves in the postseason? I wouldn't be. That's he's what he's supposed terrible. to do. But like we, we, talked about. we don't do. trust him at all. We don't trust him at and, all. And you need some thump in your lineup. And man, do the Blue Jays have thump. So I think that the Blue Jays of all the teams, especially because they will be the number one team in that wild card. And that also helps during seeding. So I think the Blue Jays are the answer here. Yeah, you know, I think upside wise, you're looking at a Blue Jays team that ultimately <laughs> they could go toe to toe with anybody. And and we've seen them starting to get hot at the right time here, which is really important. And I, I trust Manoa in the big game as much as I trust any of these guys for the most part that aren't, you know, hall of famers. I, I think Bo Bichette being a, an animal over the last couple months has been a huge development for them as well. And, you know, I think you look at their lineup top to bottom, there's not really a break. You, you talk about the bullpen that helps a lot. My concern is definitely the starting pitching. We talked about it in previous episodes, how we don't trust Barrios. You got to hope that he is able to kick it in gear. But if he does somehow, if he does look like Jose Barrios, that's a three-headed monster right there of Manoa, Gossman, and an and Jose Barrios being Jose Barrios. But I have my concern that I just don't think he's going to be that guy. Um, I think they're, they're definitely have the ability to explode as much as anybody. Give some credit to Stripling. Stripling has been very good this season. I mean, that's another one. Like if Brios starts, goes four innings, you could just go to Stripling and he can limit damage. Like this isn't if Brios struggles, it's over. Even though he's an enormous X factor, because if he is good, the Blue Jays could be a World Series team. If he struggles, it doesn't look good for the Blue Jays, but it ain't over. Because they have Manoa and Gosman at the top. Is your answer the Blue Jays or are you leaning somewhere else? Maybe in the National League. I'm sticking with my Seattle Mariners. I I think that they are built to just surprise a lot of people. Almost like the Kansas City Royals did off of the starting pitching and the nasty bullpen and the offense that can just step up in the right spots. I I, I just there's we're gonna talk about it in the next question about the storylines and the magic. There's a level of magic with this Mariners team. And I love it. They get Jose or Julio. Your excuse me, sorry. They get Julio Rodriguez back. So I'm trying to speak here, and I think that's going to be something that really helps him if he's 100. percent But what Ty France are you getting? That that's the big question offensively. Is Eugenio Suarez 100 percent healthy from that finger issue? I think the offense is going to be good enough. Winker's a big X factor there too. But I really think that pitching, and we're going to get to that in a second too, is just so good. Uh, it has the uh, potential to be as good as anybody. When you have what you're getting from George Kirby as of late, what you're getting from Logan Gilbert as of late, Robbie Ray as well, and then Luis Castillo, of course, as your frontline guy, if they're all on, they could catch you real quick with the bullpen too and shut the door. It might be really hard to score against this team. 
hard to find a better bullpen and hard to find a better playoff Mitch Hanniger. Yeah, I'm excited for playoff Mitch Hanniger. I'm really excited for the Mariners. And then, of course, there's honorable mentions, but we could go all day. But we have more questions to answer. Number six, which team would be the best to win the World Series storyline-wise? I think there's a one clear answer here. Because, you know, we'll just go through the other teams quickly. If the Yankees win, congrats. Like, they've won a bunch of titles. If the Mets win, you paid all these millions of dollars, and you almost should have won it. The Braves repeat that is a great story cool, but, but you know it's not the greatest story in the world it's a good story not the greatest yeah. dodgers you've been the best all year and you also spend the most money come on padres would be a cool story but maybe overcoming tatis but storyline wise not as much astros you know there's always going to be the cheating that hangs over their head whether they deserve it or not and i certainly don't think that they deserve it anymore but it always will just hang over their head whether they like it or not Guardians would be a phenomenal story in the American League of kind Especially of their rags to riches, but just the drought, of course, like that's a big one. But it has to be the St. Louis Cardinals yeah. in, you know, Pujols' last year, Yachty's last year. We aren't totally sure on Wainwright. And you were at St. Louis for the one of the final times that we're ever going to see all three of them walk off the field in Bush Stadium in the regular season. Like, how was that experience? And of course, it has to be the Cardinals, right? Oh, my gosh, man. When, when I was there, I had this legitimate thought where I, I looked at my girlfriend, Ellie, who's a big Cardinals fan. Her family's from St. Louis. And I was like, I'm so in on you guys winning the World Series this year. Like, this is just this is just too awesome. Um, you know, you listen to what Albert said when he was given his little pregame speech and the, you know, they did the the ceremony for him and Yachty, which was, which was really special. And uh, he was just like, we're not done. You know, we want to win. We want to bring a world series here. And I just, the uh, imagining what this magical season has been for Pujols um, and, and not as much for Yachty who's been beat up, but he's, he's still been able to help them in a lot of ways. And you, know, you look at what everybody's been saying about him, about the smartest player, maybe to ever play the game, like, being able to see those two guys, just lead them and, and contribute. That's the thing. They're not just like Tracy McGrady on the bench for the Spurs, you're playing one minute in a blowout. Like this is them actually contributing to this team winning the World Series. I don't. I couldn't imagine something cooler than that. Pujols coming back and winning it with them. Like that is by far, I think, the most incredible storyline. I just want more Albert Pujols games. Like I, I'm going to be so sad when they're, if they're facing elimination because that's the end. But being in that stadium in St. Louis. Uh, I know that it's a franchise that's won a lot as of late, but it's still just something that is so powerful. Seeing the whole city rally around those guys, it was one of the cooler things I've experienced, especially if it's Wayno's last year too. I couldn't imagine something cooler than those three guys winning it. I will say though, Seattle breaking the playoff curse or the you know the playoff drought as well and then winning it in that year would be very cool. Uh, but I think with the Guardians' prolonged drought, and, and, of course, just the storyline in St. Louis here with the Hall of Famers on their way out. I think those two are by far the best. I agree. I think it – but the Mariners, like, we're not discounting the Mariners or the Guardians. Like, those are great storylines, and if they won, it would be phenomenal. I mean, just for me, if any team wins the World Series, I think it's awesome. Like, it's just yeah. so fun. I love playoff baseball. But it just seems that, especially in this year with the legends, that it has to be the St. Louis Cardinals. For sure. So taking a short break from the playoffs, and then we'll get back to it with our last question. What are the odds that Shohei Otani is traded after signing a one-year deal to avoid arbitration? If he is traded, what team would be able to afford the price tag? And the reason why I wanted to include this is not only because it was asked maybe four times in our comments hmm. by four different people. And that, by the way, was asked by at C. Bush on Instagram. 
Also, I've done a bad job of, of naming the people. Bradley Sandberg asked question number six. Ryan Brody, question number five. Marshall, well, you can find them all in our episode description. They're all tagged, yeah. but thank you, everybody, for asking these questions. I've done a bad job with that. That's my fault. Um, but I really wanted to talk about the Otani, not just because people asked it, but because we haven't really gotten a chance to speak about Shohei Otani signing the largest contract like post arb for one deer at thirty million dollars. Yeah, that's no, crazy. Yeah, thirty mil to avoid arbitration is just unheard of. It's it's incredible. It's and I, I tweeted. I was like, it seems half of what I thought. And <laughs> everyone was in my comments like, oh uh, yeah, you know it's pre arb and like I know should be sixty still. <laughs> like yeah. I knew it was, but I still think it should be sixty million because like what are you paying for the bat? What are you paying for um the the guy on the mound? Um, I don't think he's going to get traded. I think that there is a small possibility. I don't think it's, you know, a zero, you know what it is. It's non-zero chance, non-zero chance, non-zero <laughs> chance. But to be more specific, what would you, what percentile would you say he gets traded? And then who do you think he could even go to? Yeah, I'd put it at, you know, 10% maximum, you know, cause there's always just the chance that maybe Shohei wants out. Or yeah. you know, who knows what, what could possibly happen? I, I I don't think that would happen. And the reason why I think it's 90% that he stays is you know, Artie Moreno, who currently owns the team, team's for sale. He's not going to trade Otani before he sells the team. That's the most valuable aspect of the team. And but whoever acquires it. Yeah. And that was, that was the weird thing is I, I felt like it was two separate situations there because the, the Nationals, it seemed like, there was no way financially that team could retain Soto. And so whoever was buying the team knew that they had to get rid of them and they didn't want to be the ones that got rid of them. So it was like, let's get rid of them and then sell the team. Whereas, I mean, this is a Los Angeles team. This is, this is a team that is one of the biggest markets. I know they've got a lot of bad contracts, but I think you could find a way to lock up Otani here. And, and it's not really going to be a, a big problem for you financially. If you're the angels, I really think that whoever buys this team does not want to be the one that trades Otani and just tanks the franchise value. I don't see why they would ever do that. They're, they're in a good enough spot with the rest of their team that if they make the right moves, they can put it together. I, I would be shocked. But any teams that could do it, really, it's going to be the same same suspects, right? The only yeah. few that could really afford him, both system-wise and financially, just see all of the candidates in the Juan Soto sweep six, and that's basically what it would be. Mets, Dodgers, Yankees, Marlins, Marlins. He's worth more than the entire franchise. <laughs> like actually, I think the franchise is worth less than a billion. I'd say Otani might be worth a billion. Just caught me by surprise. It's so funny. Like I was just thinking about no, but you know maybe the Marlins just need to stack up on more pitching. I mean they got yeah, Brian no, they should they should acquire Otani and then say don't hit, just pitch. We don't need you to hit. <laughs> As many pitchers as possible. That's the most Marlins thing ever. Okay. But really, it's Mets, it's Yankees, it's Dodgers, it's Padres? Could you imagine? I don't know. What if they were just like – I mean, they have to extend Soto after what they gave up, though. So I think Padres are done. They're out. They they took themselves out of the sweepstakes there. They depleted that, their system. But – yeah. The Rangers committing five hundred million to Seager and Semyon. Imagine committing a billion to, to Soto and Otani. Cardinals, if they but they never would, but Cardinals could for what that's worth. But they and won't. They won't. And it's a ten percent chance. Last question, and maybe the best one because it's all about pitching in the playoffs. 
where does the top four of each rotation in both leagues stack up? Asked by Tyler for Cy Young on Twitter. Probably a Mets fan, and we're definitely going to talk about those Mets. But I think the question here is important. I think the question here is important because on some teams, you have a three-headed monster, and that's probably what they're going to use most in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, the question was top four. So, for example, Phillies fans, your top three is awesome, but your four ain't that good. Blue Jays, again, the four ain't that good. There were some teams that fell off here. Exactly. When you when you think of these teams, like you think of the three-headed monster, but like this question was their top four. So just really quickly going through it, the New York Yankees, it's Garrett Cole, it's Nestor Cortez Jr., it's Luis Severino, it's Jameson Tyon. For the Blue Jays, it's Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, Ross Stripling, and Jose Barrios. For the Rays, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, and then we kind of did a combination of Corey Kluber and, and Glass now because, I don't know, uh, Guardians, Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, and Aaron Savali. Astros, Verlander, Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, Lance McCullough Jr., and Christian Javier. Maybe you could put in Luis Garcia, but that should be the four. Uh, Seattle Mariners, they have Luis Castillo, they have Robbie Ray, they have Logan Gilbert, and they have George Kirby. In the National League, With you have Jacob deGrom on the Mets, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett. Cookie Carrasco, Carlos Carrasco. With the Braves, you have Max Fried, maybe Strider, and maybe that might hurt them in these rankings, Kyle Wright and Charlie Morton. Phillies, you got Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez, and Kyle Gibson. For the Cardinals, you have Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, Jose Quintana. For the Dodgers, you have Julio Arias, Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, and Tyler Anderson. For the Padres, you have Joe Musgrove, you have Hugh Darvish, you have Blake Snell, Blake Snell, and you have Mike Clevenger. I need a sip of water because I just listed off a bunch. You yeah, start off with rankings. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a second here. Uh, well done. I, I, it's really interesting with the four-person aspect of this because you know if we were saying which which rotation has the top two, it's totally different. Uh, but but that said, you got to still consider how elite the top two are, and then how big of a fall off it is at three and four. And you know, still, and we talked about it. Like number one is is the Mets because the one and two punch you have of dueling hall of famers with chris bassett the way he's looked as of late is the third guy and carrasco's been a little bit inconsistent obviously but that's your fourth guy that's the question we'll see but those three are just such a problem but i I do think it's a really important distinction to make here it's that it's it's weighing how elite are the top two versus how steady is the entire four and i think a good example of a steady entire four would be maybe the Astros or the Rays, whereas and they've got the top heaviness too, though. That's what makes the Astros so good. And we'll go through the exact rankings. But the Rays are a better example of like nothing crazy elite. I mean, McClanahan has the potential to be elite, but he's been a little inconsistent in the second half, but just steady across the board. And and that's what makes the Rays right up there with just about anybody. And the number one is the Mets. Um, and we're gonna go through piece by piece. So you just did number one is the Mets, because I do think that Carlos Carrasco as he's been inconsistent, when we look at the other playoff rotations, he's still one of the better fours. Chris Bassett is one of the better threes. And then you have the best top two. So I think it has to be the Mets at number one. But a number two and a close number two is the Houston Astros. Because you have Justin Verlander has been one of the best overall pitchers in baseball. But then I 
Framber has been great. Lance McCullough Jr., especially in the playoffs, has been great. And the emergence of Christian Javier. If we're talking about the best four, Christian Javier is probably the best four. And you could argue he's the three and Lance McCullers is the four. But I think the Astros have the deepest, but the Mets just having that two-headed monster of DeGrom and Scherzer just gives them the slight bump. But if we're talking depth, the Astros have the deepest four. So I would go Mets number one and go Astros number two, but it is close. Get into number three. Yeah, I mean, number three, and this is a big if, but you still got to put the Atlanta Braves there. With the way Max Fried has looked at the top of the rotation, basically matching up with anybody any given night and, and being able to go toe-to-toe with some of the best lineups in baseball, he leads the way. And then Spencer Strider right there as well, assuming he's healthy, and that's the big if, but it's way easier to assume that he's healthy. Strider's been the top 15 pitcher or better in baseball when he's totally right, top 10. Uh, Kyle Wright is a really solid number three. I, I think he might be the four with the way Morton has looked as of late as the three potentially. You could interchange those two. I trust Morton as a vet, but you have those two guys at three and four. That's a really balanced four arms right there of freed Strider, Wright, and Morton, assuming Strider's healthy. Like you don't have a major concern with any of those guys on the mound. We talk about how clutch Morton is, how good Wright has looked. Really, my biggest concern with this rotation would be Kyle Wright, and he's a 20-game winner this year. Like He's been dynamite. So, I mean, that's your biggest question. That's going to be a top-five rotation in the postseason. And number four is, of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're not as shiny this year as you might think with no Walker Bueller, but Julio Arias, if it weren't for Sandy standing on his head and throwing a complete game every single game for the Marlins – Julio Rios could be the National League Cy Young Award winner. He has been that good. Then, of course, you have the legendary Clayton Kershaw. Tony Gonsolin, when he's right and he did just make his return, has looked great all regular season long. And Tyler Anderson is somehow really good. (laughs) You could make the argument Tyler Anderson has been one of the best fours in a rotation in all of Major League Baseball. So the Dodgers have to be number four. But number five is... Probably the sneakiest rotation in the playoffs. Uh, it's And that's just what they do, right? The, the Rays are made off of being sneaky with their pitching. And we talk about such a balanced rotation for the postseason. It's ridiculous what they have going on here. Shane McClanahan, assuming he's right, it's, it's good that he's back and healthy and throwing again. And that guy, when he's on, is as good as anybody. Drew Rasmussen has just been spectacular this season. Jeffrey Springs has been incomprehensibly good. And then that's not even considering the fact that Tyler Glass now is on the mend. I don't know how they're going to handle him, if he's going to piggyback off of Kluber or vice versa. But how about what Glass now did last outing against the Red Sox? Three and two thirds, two hits, seven punchies. Like this guy is already back and shoving. It's just about how long they're going to let him go. If he gives you five innings with that bullpen, that's it's going to be better five innings than you're going to get from any other three or four, quote unquote. So what they got there with Kluber and Glass now maybe piggybacking as that fourth option, it's ridiculous. And I think people really sleep on how good, myself included, how good Springs has been this year. That rotation has the potential to be as good as any when, when all those guys are going. If Glass now looks like he did against the Red Sox and is shoving like that, like we think he could be, because I think when Glass now is right, he's top 10. Yeah. That's oh, how absolutely. good Tyler Glass now is. So. If he is that good, McClanahan's that good, and Rasmussen has been a little bit shakier of late but had a stretch there where he was the best pitcher in baseball. And then Jeffrey Springs, I mean, what the hell is that? That 30-year-old, you told me his age at the beginning of this podcast, and I was like, what? Who's, <laughs> no, no way he's 30. No way. 
I mean, the Rays are just unbelievable. If Glass now was that guy, the Rays could be with the Astros and the Mets, like that good of a rotation. But number six is also a really, really deep rotation, one of the best, especially with the emergence of George Kirby, and that's the Seattle Mariners. You got Luis Castillo, who at the front of your rotation is as good, at least right now and just in general, as any ace in the game. You have Robbie Ray, who at his best can dominate games by himself. Logan Gilbert, the same thing, at his best can dominate games by himself. George Kirby, at his best, can dominate games by himself. All of these guys can act as aces in their own right, but they also have those blow-up outings. Yep. Castillo, not as much, but Ray has you know, been up and down. Gilbert, up and down a little bit. Kirby has actually been really consistent. So there's, at the high end, this is as good as any rotation. But at the low end, it could be the reason that they're out of the playoffs. Like I think there's tiers here, and I think the Mariners headline like the next tier, if that makes I- sense. I agree. And, and, you know, Castillo has been phenomenal and I, I, I have a lot of confidence in him, but, and I love Kirby and I love Gilbert, but those are young guys and we'll see how they perform on the big stage. Robbie Ray. I, we haven't seen that many looks at Robbie Ray on the big stage either. So I am interested to see how he looks in that spot too. But that rotation, like you said, every single guy has the ability to go out there and win you a ball game uh, and go toe to toe with any team's starter when they're on. And I think that's worth a lot. And that puts them ahead of still a good amount of rotations here at number six. The Phillies are at number seven. Oh, wait, I accidentally skipped you. I'll just go. Oh, it's fine. It's kind of the way we went back and forth here. But the Phillies do check in at number seven. And we talk about the balance, right, of balancing the four solid arms versus the two really good arms. Phillies skew more towards the latter, right? I mean, Nola looked so good against the Astros the other night. Wheeler has looked much, much better as of late. Looks more like Zach Wheeler. Ranger Suarez, though, is a really solid three. I just, I I don't know. Something about me just refuses to trust him in the postseason, but I think he's going to, he's going to shove that up my, you know what? Uh, But the question is big fall off at four. Like we talked about, I don't trust Kyle Gibson in the playoffs whatsoever. I think he's the worst pitcher of these rotations in the playoffs. That's what dings the Phillies here is like Savali. Yeah. Oh yeah. is not good. So (laughs) that that's what really hurts them. Uh, But Noah Wheeler, that two could go up with anybody and Ranger Suarez looks like a legit three. So until proven otherwise, I mean, that's still a better rotation than, than a lot of others. (laughs) And number eight, we have the New York Yankees. And if we're talking about upside, they, again, could be up there with Dodgers, Rays, Braves. If you have an ace, Garrett Cole, you have Nestor continuing to do what he does. We just saw Luis Severino put up seven no-hit innings. And when asked if he could have continued, he said, absolutely 1,000% I would have thrown a no-hitter if Aaron Boone allowed me to keep going. It's understandable. I think there is two ways to look at this is – Should he have been pulled from the game? The Yankees are getting ready for the playoffs and he just happened to allow no hits through seven innings? Yes. Could he have continued and thrown a no hitter? Also, yes. I think both are fair here. And then Jameson Tyon has been good, but that's what you ask for your number four, right? You don't expect him to be elite, but I think he's been good and he has been good. So if Severino looks like that ace, if Nestor continues doing what he does and Garrett Cole looks like the 300 plus million dollar guy, the Yankees rotation has as much upside. That's what we saw in the first half. But at the same time, this is very volatile. You know, yes. Nestor Cortez, what are we going to see from him in the playoffs? We hope that he's great, but I don't think we can guarantee it by any stretch of the imagination. You look at Severino, like, you know, I posted that, you know, that stuff from Severino makes me want to gamble on the Yankees to win the World Series. And then the first comment is, 
Is he going to be on the IL in 48 hours? And I think it's a very real thing to worry about. And then Garrett yeah. Cole could blow up again. And then Jamison Tyon, we have no true idea what he's going to give us. So I think this is the most volatile playoff rotation that we have. Is that fair? It's fair. And if it's not the Yankees, the Padres at number nine have arguably the most volatile postseason rotation because you're looking at a bunch of guys that when they're on, we talk about some other rotations that each of these guys, Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, Clevenger, when they're on, they can look like aces. But a lot of these guys have not been on nearly as much as they usually are in this year, especially. I will say, though, you look at the last five or six starts and I I pushed you to flip flop the Padres and the Yankees before we recorded this. Uh, because I, I have more faith in what the Yankees are capable of in terms of their rotation. But you look at what the Padres have. If it all clicks for them, they're up there with anybody, too. Uh, Blake Snell looks like Blake Snell lately. That's for sure. I think he's fully back. But Mike Clevenger has not looked good at all. And I, I don't think you can really trust Clevenger. Musgrove has looked better as of late. Darvish has looked really solid as of late. But the inconsistency of this rotation all year long has been my big concern. And I think there's a big fall off with Clevenger. We talk about, you know, the best and worst fours, the way Clevenger's looked this year, he's arguably right there with some of the other guys as one of the weaker fours. I will say, though, if Musgrove, Darvish, and Snell are pitching the way they have as of late, this rotation could easily be one of the top five. Extremely volatile, just like the Yankees. And I think the Yankees have a little bit more safety with what they've been able to get from their guys. Maybe slightly less upside, but a little bit more consistency, I think. And at number 10, the Blue Jays are kind of similar to the Phillies, but they don't have that three like Ranger Suarez do. And I think in must-win games, if I had to decide between Wheeler and Nola or Manoa and Gosman, I would go Wheeler and Nola. So the Blue Jays checking at 10 here. We just have no idea what we're going to get from Jose Brios. We say, again, you know, these are some of the weaker fours, but on a production standpoint, Jose Brios has easily been the worst four. And then with Stripling, you really, truly have no idea what he's going to deliver. I lean that he's going to be pretty good. But when I have two, you know, very good ones. But again, Manoa's super young. I was going to say, we're putting a lot of a lot of faith on Alec Manoa because he's been so phenomenal. But, you know, it's not like the Rays, right? Because with Shane McClanahan, if he struggles a little bit, they have so many other guys. If Manoa loses game one, like it's all on Gosman because you have no idea what you're going to get from Stripling. And, and then even if Gosman shoves and evens up the series, okay, great. Now what? You know, you got Jose Barrios to determine whether you're up to one or down to one. Like that's I'm not feeling great about that. Um, So I I do love Manoa and Gossman and that combination keeps them from the basement here. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's a pretty big concern at three and four. And I think Stripling might end up being the three at this point with the way Barrios has looked. But I think because of name value, we'll probably still see Barrios game three, I assume. We'll see checking it at 11 which is this is funny at the cleveland guardians um you know I, I think we have really seen a healthy healthy shane bieber which has been great really great to see uh tristan mckenzie has made the leap this year as well which has been awesome but can you do it in the postseason that's going to be a big question but he has made a big leap this year you got your guy cal quantrill at three who <laughs> he's a magician <laughs> but can the magic go into the postseason I don't think so. And I know this shit's going to happen. His first fucking postseason game, he's going to give up 10. And and it's just going to be like, oh, great. That doesn't count towards the ERA. We know. You know what's happening. That's why you're laughing. You know what's going to happen. Look, I I love Beaver. If it's at home, he's winning that game. Uh, That is fair. fair. (laughs) No matter how well he pitches, like the Guardians are winning that game. (laughs) But, you know, this rotation's good. I I don't want people to, like, misconstrue, like, oh, we're at 11. This rotation's not good. It's a playoff rotation. Um, Bieber leading the way. 
uh, the way McKenzie has looked. But, you know, I think there's just a little bit of uncertainty right after Bieber. I mean, McKenzie has been great, but, you know, young. same thing we said about Manoa, young and less proven than Manoa. Uh, and then, you know, Quantrill as your three is probably one of the weaker threes of this entire uh, postseason. <laughs> Says me. Postseason, he's the best regular season pitcher of all time at home. Uh, unfortunately, that might not help in the playoffs. But also just continue on the Guardians. Like Aaron Savali is one of the worst fours. And like mm-hmm. that matters here because it's the top four. For doing threes, they're probably a little bit higher. But you have Bieber who, you know, the drop in Velo has been real. But overall, he's been very productive this year. McKenzie, regular season, very productive. Very, very young. Quantrill, very productive. Also very young. And then Aaron Savali just has not been good. That's why they're at 11 here. 100%. You got the last one. Number 12 might make Cardinals fans upset, but I think unlike other rotations, there are question marks at every single stop. Adam Wainwright, could he just prove us wrong once again? And I'm not saying he will be bad, but the end of the season has not been kind to Adam Wainwright. When you were were in St. Louis, how did he perform against the Pirates? I'm not saying it's going to resemble his playoff picture, but it definitely didn't look good, right? No, he's been dealing with dead arm and you could see it. I mean, like the velo down even more. Uh, he just didn't look like Adam Wainwright. And if he's, he's not Adam Wainwright, Wainwright, yeah, like 85, 86 on a lot of his pitches. Like if that's the case, you're really not feeling good because that guy's been you know, kind of a rock for you. Michaelis, I don't trust that guy that much, even though we forget he exists all the time. Montgomery has been slowing down a little bit. I still, I, I trust him. I the like Yankees him. I, I really traded like him. him because they didn't want him in their playoff rotation. Like, let's not forget that. Yeah. Against really good teams, I've seen Jaymont fold. The, I know he gave you this really good stretch, but then he gave you a bad stretch, and now he's going to go face the Mets or the Braves or yeah. the Dodgers. Tough. Like, we'll see. Yeah. The Dutana's like the one. Yeah, he's a fine. He's probably one of the better fours. Uh, I don't even know. You could mix and match any of these four. I, I don't even know who's one and who's four. I have no idea. And and then Jack Flaherty's just not going to be in that rotation, I don't think. But what no, I will say, not. though, for Cardinals fans, if there's one team that needs their rotation to be good the least, it might be the Cardinals. Like their bullpen yeah. is phenomenal. Their defense is elite and they rake. They'll be fine. Uh, yeah. These guys just need to give them five quality innings, which I think they can. Yeah, like just because they're at the bottom of this, I think you made a really good point. These are all playoff rotations. They're all really good teams. And on any given day, you can win, even if your starter doesn't. Because, for example, like Wainwright could give up four runs in six innings, but then the Cardinals score six, and they win. And then the bullpen shuts it down. Like, that's that's a very likely scenario here. So by no means are we counting the Cardinals out, but when we go through it, the top four, that's how we rank it. We got to bounce. We have to watch Guardians-Royals. It's going to be an electric game. Uh-huh. Arm's going to be inked forever. Yeah. Go have dinner. Enjoy yourself. But before you do, remember to use code just baseball on prize picks to get that 100% full deposit match. Use code just baseball when getting your diet smoke and get yourself some just baseball merch. Of course, on the just baseball show, we're going to be covering the playoffs all season long. Anything else before we say goodbye? Um, no, excited to uh, headline and, and run down all of these top 100 prospects on the call up, continuing to do that. Just put out our third episode going from 61 to first, sorry, 60 to 41. Um, and then we're going to get to the, the final 40 uh, in the next couple episodes this week. So check that out on the call up. And with that, thank you, everybody.